Bialis. Welcome to the Hyalis podcast. The winter has arrived here in my rented house. I think I've mentioned before about the heating being rubbish. And so at the moment, the heat, the temperature rather, is fluctuating between about 14 and 17. So it's not absolutely freezing, but it's getting quite chilly. In anticipation for this winter, I went and bought some thermals which I've never bought before but they do work quite well I got them from Marks and Spencers and uh, it was £25 for the trousery bit and £25 for the toppy bit so it was £50 and uh, as I handed over my card and spent the £50 I thought about being a little kid and if I had £50 when I was a little kid now, if you'd have told me, as a little kid, are oh, you going to have £50 to spend and you're going to spend them on some boring clothes to try and keep a bit warmer rather than Nintendo games <laughs> or something good and fun? And I, my younger self would have been horrified, I think. World Cup is on at the moment. I'm doing a boycott of that, but... It's not as if I'm usually uh, massively glued to it. Anyway, Kaz would probably be more likely to be watching the World Cup. Uh, more, of, uh, She's not particularly generally interested in football, but she likes international football for some reason. And uh, I don't particularly. I'll kind of watch it if it's on. Sometimes you can get caught up in it. But yeah, this one, I think just one too many things I don't like about this one and uh, yeah I'm sure I have nothing original to say on that so uh, I won't I won't uh, go into one about that but yeah not watching that Norwich only have one player who's in the World Cup uh, Josh Sargent who plays for Team USA so hope he does well but other than that I'm nay bothered. I think I mentioned a few podcasts ago, maybe in the True Crime podcast, that I was reading a book about Columbine, appropriately titled Columbine, uh, written by a guy called Dave Cullen, who was a journalist who was there on the day that it actually happened, and then basically continued to report on it until he then came to write what I think is considered the definitive book on, on Columbine as far as I've seen I finished that um, f- uh, a few weeks ago but one of the things it, it brought up for me it was, an in- it was an interesting book quite harrowing read as you'd imagine I had to stop reading it before bed because it was yeah I didn't want to be thinking about those two rotters when I was trying to get to sleep um, one of them was a bigger rotter than the other but I won't go into one about about that in case in case you'd like to read it. But it, well, it was an interesting book, um, the psychology of the two killers and how I think they call it a dyad, a dyad or a dyad. Yeah, I can't remember. But when you get two certain types of personality or psychological disorder together, and it and it can mean they end up doing things that perhaps they wouldn't have done on their own, and certainly one of them almost certainly wouldn't have done anything like this he he almost certainly would have killed himself 
but he almost certainly wouldn't have done anything to harm anyone else had he not met the other fella, Eric. So Dylan was the was the one who was kind of a, a depressive. I don't want to do a whole. I won't. I won't summarize the whole book for you. I just wanted to bring up uh, something because one of the things that came up in the book quite a lot was this idea of survivor's guilt, and yeah, obviously something where you you feel. Uh, yeah, guilt about uh, being st- still alive and, and, and someone else isn't and, and uh, a lot of people were feeling that after Columbine especially the people who were really close to it or if you were, if the students who had a friend die or you know, someone dying right next to them or anything along those lines had a, a strong sense of it and uh, when I was reading those sections I was trying to empathise with those people and, and, and to try and feel what that would feel like and the closest thing to survivor's guilt that I have felt I thought I would just uh, tell you about because it's something that kind of plays on my mind uh, every now and then and yeah so I thought uh, today in today's podcast I would just uh, tell you that story. When I graduated uh, university uh, it was kind of a did you just hear that car beep? Um, It was kind of the the height of the recession or oh, a witch recession you say <laughs> uh yeah the one after the 2008 uh collapse of the global economy so i graduated when did i graduate did i graduate oh, i can't remember i can't remember the exact dates but anyway the recession was going on so it was it was this thing where i'd gone to university partly to escape minimum wage job and then when i graduated university I remember one of the one of the low points was applying for Tesco and, and not getting an not even getting an interview, let alone not getting the job. And I just thought, right, and that was for a part time position. And I was like, okay, so I can't even get the kind of job that I had before I went to university in order to try and escape that sort of job. I was like, no, I was pretty depressed after, well, before uni finished as well for that kind of almost the whole of third year and then after uni as well it's kind of one of the worst times of my life I then had uh, the job at Blockbuster (laughs) I don't know if you've watched The Sopranos but in episode one of The Sopranos Tony's voiceover is like lately I feel like I'm getting in at the end like (laughs) I Like he's missed out on the on the heyday of the mafia, and uh, yeah, you might say that feeling came up at Blockbuster as well. Although I did actually enjoy working there, apart from there was a lot of stuff not to like when you're dealing with the public. But just I just I loved video shops so much growing up, and just always I just I'm so sad. That's probably the one thing that I'm so that I'm really really sad about that's gone. Even even. Um, I used to say, well, the closest you can get is the library. The library still ran out of DVDs, but the library in Exeter is selling, has sold off all, all their DVDs, so they're not even, it's not even worth it for libraries. I don't know if that's the case in other places, because I used to like getting stuff out of the forum. When I lived in the city centre, I used to rent, rent things from the, from the forum, like rent like five DVDs at a time, usually from the classic section, and just try and work my way through those. Anyway, yeah, that's just, it's just, I did enjoy, I did enjoy working there, and as I say, I love video shops. There's only two video shops left in the UK that I'm aware of that won't be just, just tiny little places. One is called Snips, which is in 
Wirral or The Wirral. I think it's near Liverpool. But I know about that one because I wrote on my on my film journal thing, film blog, basically what I call it, Phil's film journal. I wrote an article, an article, a journal, a blog entry, whatever, you know, um, called, what was it called? It was called Blockbusted, uh, an, in, an inside the first an inside view of the death of the video shop something along those lines it was basically me telling the story of of working there and seeing it uh close and uh this guy who ran this video store came across it so he must have been searching blockbuster hashtag on on twitter and so he he came across it and he and he said he really liked my article and he you know i follow him on twitter and that sort of thing so i see it on instagram so i see his his stuff so he's got a video shop there and he buys all uh, like boutique, boutique Blu-rays, like Criterion and Arrow, all of these boutique Blu-ray companies. He gets those in as well. So I, I, I must admit, I do sometimes think of moving there, just literally just to be near this video shop. But the other one is actually in Bristol, so it's not that far away. So I've actually visited that one. It's called 20th Century Flicks. Now, the trouble with that one is that once I got there, they had basically turned it into as into a private cinema so they they converted it so they've now got two little screening rooms and you can hire it out and and they run it as that now it still runs as a video shop however they don't have you have to like look through a catalog and instead of you know browsing the shelves and that's not a video shop that's so that, that, that to me doesn't count so nah not excited about that anyway that was a tangent into video shops it was so had that job at Blockbuster then I got made redundant from there which was a bit of a bummer it made me feel a great sense of empathy for people who are made redundant because I had only worked there I think actually I was working there less than a year I was about to be made assistant manager and they were going to send me off on assistant manager training so it was like a little bit of a of like oh really not that big of a deal it was I can't remember if it was minimum wage or 10p above minimum wage or something like that but it wasn't you know, it wasn't any great loss but to think of how it made me feel it made me feel really not great for uh, I think it was the first time a job had ended not on my terms perhaps the only time because I've never been I've never been fired I'm trying to think I don't think I have so yeah that was the first time a job had ended not on my terms and it yeah it didn't feel good so I can't imagine what it's like to work somewhere 25, 35 years and feel really institutionalised, feel like you couldn't work anywhere else. And maybe you're older and there's a discrimination there of trying to start somewhere new. So when people get made redundant after all those years, whenever I hear about redundancies now, it always gives me a real pain <laughs> of, of, of empathy and, and just, yeah, just really, I really feel for those people who are made redundant um but what that so yeah again i was out of work again for a little while and i was just applying for different jobs and i found this job that was essentially it looked like they needed loads of people and so i thought oh the odds of me getting this job are quite good and uh it was in Wyndham, and it was at a place called williams lee which was it's essentially a giant admin factory so different <laughs> Uh, admit different places send their outsource their admin there essentially so Aviva outsourced a lot of their admin there and they they did things like s massive amounts of letter stuffing and 
just all sorts of different admin related tasks. What I did is, oh, I think I've actually got like a, a secrecy agreement about what I did, but it was to do with, um, it wasn't, what's, what's the loan that everyone goes on about? Was it the PPR or something like that? The thing, it was, it was, it wasn't that, but it was something similar. And basically it was people who'd bought some sort of credit card had all been sold some sort of insurance and it basically got deemed that every single person who got sold that insurance had been missold and therefore uh, they had to compensate these people and so first they had to like send them a letter then all those people had to reply to that letter and therefore it was millions of letters essentially that were going to be coming in and so they needed a huge team of people to open those letters process those letters blah 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 blah. i won't go too far into one but it was basically you were doing various different levels of grunt admin work that was the job i got after blockbuster now that was quite a long-winded way of just getting to the the point at which yeah what it was it was i didn't really talk to too many people there kind of talked to a few people a little bit but i was kind of just kind of keeping to myself and there was this one point where i grabbed a big box of letters and just kind of took it off somewhere and i was like sort of standing by myself on this workstation doing this and somebody who worked there as well came up to me and she came and stood next to me and she said, oh, I'm going to come over here. And I can remember exactly what she said. She went, oh, I'm going to come and annoy you. And she wasn't, you know, she wasn't going to annoy me. She was clearly saying, without just coming out and saying it, like, you're on your own over here. I'm going to come over here so you're not alone. That's why I'm doing this. And I'm going to say, I'm coming over here to annoy you. As if like, oh, it's against your will. But it was just like such a you know, really lovely gesture of kindness. And yeah, I don't know. I just tend to remember gestures of kindness like that. And it made me feel really bad because um, when I first saw this, it was, it, was a, it was a lady. A lady? Does that sound really silly to say a lady? I don't know. A woman? Um, it was a lady. When I had first seen her, it was like on the induction day or whatever, and she is, she came in and she was like a little bit late, and she came in and she was like really, really pretty and like had really stylish clothes on and was basically like really good looking. And and I don't know, sometimes I'm just like, maybe even like residual from high school, I just go like on the defensive because I'm just like, well, she won't like me. Oh, look, she's like, you know, essentially like a popular girl or whatever. <laughs> almost like yeah a knee-jerk thing and, and I was quite a bit younger then as well and this is before I'd had any counselling or anything like that so yeah so I think I caught I almost just went on the defensive immediately and you know when you just like do this thing where you just instantly judge people as well and I'm just yeah I try not to try not try not to do that when I can just notice that the laptop is I can hear its fan going a bit I'm using the proper microphone today for the first time in a few podcast but i hope the uh, fans not being picked up on too much yeah just this thing where you kind of instantly judge people and that was uh so yeah that that brought that brought to me a big feeling of shame after that i was like oh no actually like this person is like really lovely and um became i wouldn't go as far to say friends but like work friends you know we'd speak 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 at work we'd kind of always we'd go on like break time at the same time and she and she'd speak to me she was from she was from portugal and she was I used to do a lot of all the overtime I could do as well at that point because I was trying to get enough money in order that we could... Because Kaz and I were living at my parents' house at that point. 
and we were living in what we referred to as because it, so it was just my bedroom basically and we just we called it room you know like in the book and the film room where they're trapped in a room and they they call it room as if it's the whole world so yeah we we even when we talk about it we're like oh yeah that's when we were living in room oh oh yeah we watched that film in room trying to make as much money as i could essentially so i was doing used to be able to do weekend shifts and they'd essentially let you do like eight till eight which i did a couple of times but that got a bit ridiculous she was always there as well doing all that overtime yeah what she really wanted she was saving up for an audi that's what she really wanted to get this car which was funny because i don't know if this is a thing i've got a sample size of three where in other jobs i've had i'm working in the magazine wholesalers menzies I met two different people. They were both um, Polish. One was called Joanna. I can't remember the other guy's name. But both of them were also trying to work all the hours they could under the sun. And what they wanted was, they both wanted Audis as well. And these, are, So it's like three different people who were all working loads and loads of hours in order to get Audis. And the two people from Poland wanted to go back to Poland at some point. But um, her, her name was Eduarda, so I don't have to say <laughs> this lady. Yeah, she, she, I don't think she wanted to go back to Portugal. She, she, was, she was quite happy in the UK. And yeah, she would talk to me about that and she would talk to me about her dog and um, yeah, show me pictures of her dog. And, and that, yeah, we just kind of chat about, about general things and we just kind of work friends. And that was a, so that was a temporary contract. So that, that ended and uh, we both, I can't really remember like saying goodbye to her or anything like that because different people got let go at different points. So, and I think, and in actual fact, I th think she might have been, she might have been offered a permanent role, because I think I was offered a permanent role as well. And then I got the job interview for Anglian. I left there um, because Anglian was better money and also because the work was very tedious at this place. But yeah, the work's tedious at Anglian as well. So. <laughs> then every now and then I would see her walking her dog when I'd be driving home from work from Anglian. And uh, a couple of times I gave her a wave. That was kind of it. So she had just been this person who had been kind to me, you know, and I had really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, she made working there just that, you know, that little bit better. It was kind of a couple of years, maybe a year, a year, a year, year and a half afterwards. And then I saw that she had had, because um, we were friends on Facebook back when that was a, a thing, I saw that she she'd had a, a daughter in that time. And I was like, oh, you know, that's that's really lovely. Yeah, she had, the, had this little girl. And then, yeah, like the story gets sad. A year, a year or two after her daughter was born, she uh, she died of cancer and uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, as I say, like we weren't, I didn't have a phone number, you know, we weren't proper, friend, proper, proper friends or anything like that. So it wasn't like I was, you know, I don't mean to like make her this about me in any way in terms of that. Just like kind of really like devastated me. Yeah, I mean, when, when I, found, I found out when she, and, and she had, I didn't, you know, I didn't find out, oh, I've got cancer or anything like this. She, she, I think she had gone back to Portugal and had sort of started feeling ill in Portugal and and then died a couple of days later. So, and she, and she had had cancer and she, yeah, I don't know whether it hadn't really been presenting itself. I really don't know the, the details, so it's not worth, not worth going into. But so just the fact that as well that she had just had this little girl 
And then also just seeing her working there and how like everybody loved her, you know, like everybody or liked her at least, you know. She was she was like a real I don't know even how to say it, just like a real light. Um even though she was and and that makes it sound like she was kind of happy go lucky, but that wasn't necessarily the case. She was she she had a kind of a cynical kind of edge and um yeah, like a kind of dry sense of humour. And I mean she was like I said, she was really beautiful. And uh so I think she got a lot of a lot of unwanted uh male attention in the workplace, put it put it like that. But she kind of took that in her stride. But but yeah, anyway, the, I mean the point of telling the story was about the survivor's guilt because kind of ever since I found out about Edward passing away, I've just had this kind of this almost yeah, this sense of guilt of being like, well, why her and why not me? Like she's got this little girl. And I, and it's kind of a not a productive or helpful way to think about things, but just this idea of like, well, yeah, or like this comparison. I mean, com- comparison to other, it's bad to compare, <laughs> basically. But yeah, just this idea of if you if there was a god and he spoke and he was like, right, I've got I'm gonna, I'm I'm taking a life today. Should it be yours or should it be Edward's? It'd be like mine. You should take mine. I don't have a little girl. And and I mean, and this is someone that I don't even know that well. So survivor's guilt definitely, definitely a thing, and it is something that I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't keep me up every night or anything like that. That's I don't mean to exaggerate. But yeah, it's something that 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 plays on my mind every every now and then, and I don't know whether it's sort of indicative of poor self-esteem to think you don't deserve to live as much as someone else, but I don't think I kind of mean it like that. Or, yeah, maybe just feeling there's like part of, part of you that feels a sense of not being worthy when you're not a parent. I don't know, but yeah, just... Yeah, I mean, like, genuinely, if you did, if, if that if that offer was there for me, where it's like, well, you can, if you like, you can take her place, and then this little girl can grow up with her mum, then, uh, yeah, I would, I would take, I would be like, yep, yeah, I'll volunteer for that, in a kind of heartbeat, but, yeah, I didn't really know what I was going to talk about today, and then... I thought, well, I thought, what stories have I got? And that was just the first thing that came to my head. So I hope, I'm sorry if it's a bit, a little bit heavy. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I can segue into something else. So I'll leave it there for today. It looks like I've gone quite long anyway. I will, uh, I will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Testing, testing. What on earth is going on? <laughs>